Did you know that there are field trips from hell to heaven? Well, maybe not, but that is the premise of The Great Divorce, a theological dream novelette by C.S. Lewis, which delves into human resistance to God's embrace. In the book, characters from the gray town, which is either hell or purgatory, depending on whether one stays there permanently, form a line for the bus to heaven. Once they arrive at heaven's foothills, they find themselves to be thin, insubstantial ghosts compared to the solid reality they see and feel around them. Heaven is so solid, in fact, that it is painful for the ghosts to walk upon the grass. They have to toughen up and become more real themselves with the help of heavenly denizens whom they knew in life. One conversation occurs between a former factory foreman who insists on just getting my rights and his would-be helper, a former worker of his, who committed murder while he was alive. This is a very abridged version of that conversation. And to do it justice, I would have to have a working man's English accent, which I don't have. So just go with it. Look at me now, said the ghost, slapping its chest, but the slap made no noise. I gone straight all my life. I don't say I was a religious man, and I don't say I had no faults, far from it. But I done my best all my life, see? I done my best by everyone. That's the sort of chap I was. I only want my rights. I'm not asking for anybody's bleeding charity, the other said. Then do, at once, ask for the bleeding charity. Everything is here for the asking, and nothing can be bought. The ghost said, You can clear off, see. You're not wanted. I may be only a poor man, but I'm not making pals with a murderer, let alone taking lessons from him. Made it hard for you and your like, did I? If I had you back there, I'd show you what work is. Don't refuse. You will never get there alone and I am the one who was sent to you. So that's the trick, is it? shouted the ghost, outwardly bitter. And yet I thought there was a kind of triumph in its voice. It had been entreated. It could make a refusal. And this seemed to it a kind of advantage. Tell them I'm not coming, see? I'd rather be damned than go along with you. I came here to get my rights, see? Not to go sniveling along on charity tied to your apron strings. If they're too fine to have me without you, I'll go home. That's just what the ghost does. Mercy is often offensive. It's offensive when someone, like the worker who committed murder, receives it. It can also be offensive when we receive it. Why? Because we want to feel like we've earned everything. Like, we want to think that the universe is a perfectly moral universe. Like the just get rewarded and the evil get punished. In proportion. Except the Bible undercuts that notion time and time again. Poor John. He knows from the beginning what God is going to do because he knows what kind of God God is. God is gracious. God is compassionate. 
God is slow to anger and burning with chesed. There's my favorite Hebrew word again. Remember that chesed encompasses mercy, loyalty, hospitality, and love. And in the case of the Ninevites, God's mercy is all kinds of wrong to Jonah. But why is Jonah so angry that God doesn't start smiting? Well, the clue lies in what kind of people the Ninevites were in real life. Nineveh was the capital of Assyria, a regional superpower known for its brutality. When the Assyrians captured enemy cities, they killed or enslaved most of the populace. Leaders of those cities, if they weren't impaled on spikes, would be deported by, they would be let off with fish hooks. As my pastor once said, the Assyrians were the kind of people, were the kind of empire that if they had nuclear weapons, they would have used them. The Assyrian army destroyed the northern kingdom of Israel in 722 BC and surrounded Jerusalem in the south. The pages of the book of Nahum are just an extended oracle. They burn against Assyria and Assyria's oppression, promising divine retribution. They were the oppressor. Is it any wonder then that Jonah has no interest in going there? He doesn't want to be a prophet preaching repentance. He wants them dead. He wants revenge. He would call it justice, though. We're not so different. Do you notice how angry and anxious everybody has been for a while now? I have never seen our beloved country as enraged and as divided as it is now. Of course, I wasn't around for Vietnam and Watergate, so maybe some of you have a different perspective. But it is a very, there's a lot of rage out there. There are calls for vengeance out there, cloaked in calls for justice, and there's no listening. It's just show no quarter, don't yield an inch, hit them before they can hit you back. There's little empathy, there's little love, there's little mercy. When the Ninevites receive mercy, Jonah is furious because they are the last ones who ought to receive it. We all too often can be like him. But God does not care about our desire for revenge. God's justice looks much different from the justice we envision. God's justice and God's mercy are always the exact same thing. So much more than just our, so much more just than our justice, and so much more merciful than our mercy. In Ezekiel, God says in a call to re for repentance to Judah, have I any pleasure in the death of the wicked? And not rather that they should turn from their ways and live? There's no settling of scores with God. There is justice, yes. Sometimes that justice is painful. There are demands for repentance, yes. Thesis one, 
of Martin Luther's 95 Theses is that when our Lord and Master Jesus Christ said, repent, he intended that the whole life of believers should be one of repentance. But there is no revenge. Even the hated Ninevites are God's beloved children. In the last haunting question of the book, God says, shouldn't I care for the people of Nineveh, people who are so ignorant they don't even know their right hand from their left? And many animals besides that? We're all recipients of the same bleeding charity that the foreman so despises. That bleeding charity in Jesus Christ that seems so offensive to us is our only path to life. His life, death, and resurrection are the culmination of the Bible's witness that we cannot earn our way to God. We can't earn our salvation. We can't earn our status. We can't insist upon any rights with God. We can't expect others to earn their way either. We're all dependent on God's mercy in Jesus Christ alone. Knowing that, Let's make a different choice than Jonah made. Let's let go of our anger. Let's let go of our hatred. Let's let go of our wish for vengeance and repent. Let's live out our lives as people shaped in the image of Jesus Christ. Turning back to the only one in whom we have hope, in whom we have life. Let's pray. Lord Christ, help us to accept your mercy when it comes to others as well as to ourselves. Purify us of self-righteousness and hatred. 